0: Um, So before I begin, I I wanted to uh, get out of the way the quirkiest thing about me. Michelle mentioned it a little bit, and that is the real world. So how many here have heard of the real world? Most of you. So I was on the third season. I mean, that's like ancient history. Um, And so my husband was on the fifth season. We met on a reunion-type episode. Um, Our first moment that we met is actually captured on tape, which is fun. Um, We're the first ever reality TV couple that, you know, got married. We have more kids than any other reality TV couple. And our daughter, and not the Kardashian's uh, child, North, um, is the first reality TV child. So I just want to put that out there. Um, So, but as much as people are interested in the real world, what people most are curious about me is like I have eight kids, right? And they want to know what's it like to have eight kids, and more importantly, what's it like to have eight kids in this hyper political family? Um, you know, their dad is a Republican congressman, their mom is a conservative activist and a Fox News contributor, um, and it is a little bit weir- weird. Um, for one, I have a three-year-old who has a little black beautiful baby doll that she has called Baby Trump. Um, so she hears the word Trump a lot in our house. Um, she, I also have a son named Jack. He's 16 now, but when he was around, I would say he was probably 12. There, our, my husband was already a congressman, and um, we had a house and in the bottom of the house was what we called the toy room. And in the toy room, the kids would keep all their stuff, and I went downstairs into the toy room, because this story really explains what what it's like having kids um, in a political household. I went down, and it was an absolute disaster down there. And so I called all the kids, I gathered them all, and I said, hey guys, you guys got to pick up the the toy room. And uh, they said, "Uh, okay, and so I left. I came back about 10, 15 minutes later, and the place looked exactly the same. I was like, what happened here? And Jack said, you know, mom, me and Evita, Evita's our oldest, me and Evita, we picked up our part. All this stuff you see right here, that's all the other kids. And I said what any good mother would say, and Michelle would back me up. I said, I don't really care who made this mess. No one's leaving the toy room until it's done. And then Jack walked across the room to pick up a toy, and I heard him mumbling something. And I said, Jack, did did you just mumble something? And he said, no, I didn't say anything. I said, well, I really distinctly heard you mumbling something as you picked up that toy. Why don't you tell me what you said? And he said, I didn't say anything. And I said, Jack? And he goes, fine. I called you a socialist. (laughs) And that's what it's like raising kids in a very hyper-political home. so today we're here to talk about and celebrate conservative women. So let's just get right into it. Let's talk about conservative women. Who are they and what do we know about them? Well, it turns out that there is actually some recent research on women that shed some light on this subject. Now, since 1972, the University of Chicago has been conducting what they call a general social survey. And one of the things that the survey measures is happiness. The study concluded that conservative women are the happiest. Um, about 40% of conservative women say they are very happy. Now that makes them slightly happier than conservative men, significantly happier, according to the survey, than liberal women, and it also makes them, now who, who do you think is the un- most unhappy group of all? Who's the unhappiest? Unhappiest group of, men of, of all are liberal men, right? Um, Only about one-fifth of liberal men consider themselves very happy. And so the question we ask is, why are conservative women so much more blissful? Well, it turns out that there are three things that contribute most to human happiness. And they are family, community, especially faith community, and work. And I would suggest to you that these are things that come very naturally to conservative lifestyles, and particularly to conservative women. Now, I believe a lot of our happiness also comes from, is that a better one? So I, I just push this one right here, the arrow right here. Okay. Um, I personally, uh, so I believe a lot of our happiness comes from refusing to follow something we talked a little bit about at our table earlier, the feminist script. And I'm gonna explain what I mean by that. Um, I have personally in my own life found that by throwing that feminist script out the window and following my heart, um, it's a lot more fulfilling and frankly, it's a lot more fun. Um, There's another happiness study that provides yet another clue about why conservative women are happier. Now this study concluded that women who say they have turned down a promotion or made some other work sacrifice for the sake of their families report high levels of happiness. Um, that's really quite a revolutionary finding because it actually flies in the face of what women have been told since feminist icon Betty Friedan. Oh my God! There we go. Uh, wrote the feminist mystique, um, and it certainly seems to conflict with what so many young women are being told today by other luminaries um, uh, and culture makers, such as Sheryl Sandberg. Um, who famously told young women during a commencement address, she said, quote, put your foot on the gas pedal and keep it there. So my advice is actually exactly the opposite. I say first, of course, get your education, and then pursue your dreams passionately, but do not be afraid to slow down or jump off of the professional train when your heart calls you to tend to the things that last. So what are those things that last? Love, marriage, babies, happy kids. Um, so what's so great about being, uh, and, and and this is what really makes it so great being a woman today is, and it's different than it was say, you know, back in the 80s or the 70s. Today you actually can jump back on, on and off that professional train. Um, I say to conservative young women all the time, listen, this is your journey. You do not have to choose between somebody that me and Michelle know who that is, (laughs) Margie does too, that's June Cleaver, or somebody like Barbara Walters, um, who, you know, really had a very successful uh, um, career, but she would even tell you in interviews, um, you know, wasn't able to balance that with um, a family life. Um, There is miles of space between June Cleaver and Barbara Walters, and you can find whatever your heart desires in that space. Um, When I was pregnant with my first baby, I was an at-home mom. Um, I had just moved to Wisconsin um, with my husband, and I thought I was um, an at-home mom by default. Um, I was up for a job as a new co-host on ABC's uh, show, The View, and I was going through a series of on-air auditions, There's Us with Sophia Loren, um, I was going through a series of on-air live auditions with a bunch of other, other girls, um, and they had whittled it down to just two of us. And at that time, I was, new, I was a newlywed. I hadn't moved to Wisconsin yet. I was actually living in Minneapolis um, because my husband was in law school and finishing up law school. And so I made a deal with Sean because I thought I was gonna get the show. Uh, I had already you know, cut through all these other girls that were auditioning. I was down to two, and I thought, this is mine. And I said, you know, Sean, let's make a deal. We were just married. If I get the job, we're going to move to um, New York. Um, If I don't get the job, I agree that I'm going to move to your hometown in Hayward, Wisconsin, population 2,000. Um, Barbara Walters called me and told me that I didn't get the job. And so I moved to Hayward, Wisconsin, home of the Muskie Fishing Museum. Now, I'll tell you, when I didn't get the job, I was pretty devastated, but I was really young and I was very optimistic, and I said, you know what, that's okay, I'm living in Hayward. I still have an agent in LA. Um, You know, I'm just in between jobs here. So I kept calling my agent in LA, and I I flew out to LA for a couple auditions here and there. Um, And a a few years later, The View called again. Um, And they said, listen, we want you to come back. One of our hosts left and we want you to go back through this audition process, we love you. Um, So I said, yeah, I'll come back. Um, At this point, I was now pregnant with my third child. Um, And again, this time, I made it to the finals. And it came down to me and Elizabeth Hasselbeck. And um, Elizabeth ended up getting the job. So I went back to my life in Wisconsin. I, I tell you, I was depressed for a couple days and then I started to feel this real huge sense of relief. I felt really relieved. Um, because I think in the deepest part of my heart, um, I knew I loved, at that part of my life, I really was loving being at home. And I felt like this, it was actually what God was calling me to do at that time. Um, as an at-home mom, something bothered me, though. And that was that I didn't feel like the choice I had made to be home, and it was my choice, um, was not being valued by our culture. And so I just started to blog about it here and there. I started to write about it. First, I wrote on some pretty unknown blogs that no one read. And then I started getting published on websites that um, people actually read. And then I eventually ended up writing a book about it. Um, What I found is that the most surprising thing about being a mother um, is that the more kids that I had, and it's very counterintuitive, but it's actually true, the more kids I had, the more I found I was able to put on my plate. Having kids taught me to prioritize. It taught me to delegate and accept life's imperfections more gracefully. Um, A few years later, my husband and I decided that he was gonna run for Congress. And um, uh, as an at-home mom, From our kitchen table, I helped him develop his marketing plan, I became his speech writer, and all of those experiences um, gave me the background and the confidence to do parenting segments on the Today Show, to try my hand at political punditry with the information I was learning um, by being a political spouse. And eventually, I became a spokesperson for the Libre Initiative um, that Michelle described as a um, organization that empowers Hispanics um, on free, free market, uh, limited government, and personal responsibility, and then eventually, um, I became a Fox News contributor. Um, but I have to tell you, it did not happen overnight. It has been 20 years in the making. Um, with lots of fits and starts, Um, when I I can recall being home and CNN called me to do, they would call me to do interviews and, you know, I lived in, at that time, the technology had not caught up to my life, so the little town I lived in didn't have a satellite, so I said, okay, I'll do it by Skype, well, how does a mom with a house full of kids do it by Skype, you know, well, I set up my Skype and then I, put the kids in a room, and I bribe them, and I tell them, if you're quiet for three minutes while mommy does CNN, we'll go to Dairy Queen. Um, So you figure out a way to make things work. Um, Eventually, those little jobs on CNN, thank God they allowed me to do Skype, and and I got to get some experience that way, eventually led to me being invited to come to the studio, um, and then to become a regular um, on, on many of these programs. I have to tell you, there are many times that I had to say no because I had a sick child or I was too pregnant to travel other times I was so tired and homesick I wished I had said no to the job Um, finding the right balance is experimental it's imperfect and it requires constant recalibration along the the way though I learned this very important skill of jumping on and off this professional train to meet the needs some of them financial Um, others are just where I was at that stage of my family, Um, I learned to meet the needs of my family and jump on and off that train. I I literally threw out that feminist script that um, said that what I was doing at home would permanently take me out of the professional game. Um, It's a lie, it's not true. Um, It's a very 1980s view of the world that does not take into account technology and how the work culture has changed in America. So I landed my dream job at Fox News at the ripe old age of 45. Um, I am now 47, and I'm still excited when I go to work because I'm learning new things every single day professionally when I go there. Um, And by the way, Fox has been incredible. Incredibly, mommy-friendly to me, and they deserve credit for that. And by the way, conservative women are leading the way on this. Look at the way Ronna, McDon- uh, 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 Ronna uh, McDaniel is doing it from uh, the RNC. She said, "I am uh, Ronna uh, Romney McDaniels. I got to get her name right. She basically said, "I'm going to take this job." but I'm going to make, she's the first one who's had that job and not lived in DC. She travels back and forth to her family. Um, They work around her family to make that job work. And by the way, she's raised more money for the RNC than anybody else ever has, so there was no sacrifice in terms of the quality of work that she's doing. You see all those women that are in the White House, um, uh, Sarah Sanders, um, the workplace is changing and it is conservative women who are leading the way and saying, we are not going to sacrifice our families, we are going to make the workplace adjust to us because we have something very unique to offer. Again, I'm 47 years old and I finally am doing what I wanted to do um, at the place I wanna be. A friend of mine once told me (laughs) that I was the Betty White of broadcasting because it took me so (laughs) long to get there. Um, I took that as a compliment. Um, When I look out today and see all of you guys, um, all of you beautiful young ladies out there, um, it reminds me of my next piece of advice um, because it is for young single women. Um, But I have to warn you that this advice is definitely not feminist approved. Um, In fact, it might make feminist heads explode, so beware. My advice to all of you is to understand that the very most important decision that you will ever, and I mean ever, make as an adult woman is who you marry. Do not let, here's my advice, do not let a good man, a kind man, a supportive man, a man who is desperately in love with you slip away, not even for a career at that moment. Um, I left my life in Los Angeles to move to a little town in northern Wisconsin to be with the man that I loved. Now, a lot of people thought I was crazy, including Barbara Walters, who every time I've seen her, I've done, I keep They bring me back occasionally, because I'm a a guest for so long with the show, and especially when Barbara was on. And every time Barbara would ask me. I mean, she thought I was crazy. And literally, when she interviewed me on camera, Uh, After Sean was elected, we came on the show together, and I was holding my baby in my arm, and she said, do you have any regrets about having left your broadcasting career to marry Sean? I thought, wow, I'm holding that regret right now, (laughs) uh, is what she was probably thinking. Um, But no, I have no regrets about that, because the most important thing was that I pursued the man that I love, because that love is what's giving me the life that I have right now. Um, Next week, I will celebrate... um, eight kids and 19 years of marriage with Sean. He's my soulmate, thank you, that's an accomplishment. He's my soulmate, he's a great partner who has supported my dreams, including my dream of having a family. Um, And I will tell you, a good, strong marriage leads to a good, strong family, and a good, strong family will support you in your dreams and aspirations. Now that does not mean that there aren't sacrifices that there aren't delays. Sometimes there's disappointment and there is always hard work to make it all work out. But a good husband and a strong family are a foundation um, of a life blessed by things that truly matter, That by things that actually last. Um, the next piece of advice I have for you is that you will also be a happy warrior um, by refusing to join The feminist Mean Girl Club. Now, I actually wrote an article um, last year telling Ivanka Trump, here she is right here, let's see, I got a picture. Um, I was trying to give advice through this article to Ivanka, I hope she read it. Um, I think she'll also be happier if she gives up on the idea of ever being welcomed back into the feminist club that once actually celebrated her. Um, She has, as you know, been branded by the left as complicit in her father's pro-America and pro-life agenda, and I will tell you, they will never, ever forgive her for that. Um, And she ought to accept that. Um, It was interesting, I was watching an interview with Mika Brzezinski and um, Tina Brown. Um, If you don't know who Tina Brown is, she's like a self-appointed feminist leader. She's the founder of the Women in the World Summit, and in this interview, she told Mika that even though Ivanka has, has been doing a lot to advance female entrepreneurship, um, that she's actually put a lot of her political weight um, behind national childcare policy and other economic issues for women in the White House, that she could not be a credible feminist model because, quote, her father's administration wants to cut funding to Planned Parenthood. Um, And I actually, I thought this was an an incredible interview because it was one of those really honest and revealing statements, moments, um, that you don't often get out of liberals. And I think it proves what conservative women have always known about the so-called feminist movement, that it is not really about women. It's about abortion. It's a movement that masquerades as a women's movement, but it's really about abortion. That's why when you had the anti-Trump march after the inauguration, the women's march, um, there were actually pro-life groups that were anti-Trump that were banned from, they were actually, they joined the the group or the leadership group, and when they found out they were a pro-life group, they kicked them out. But they kept on their leadership team. Actually, like the number two person leading the march was uh, Linda Sarsour, who's a defender of Sharia law and is on record defending female genital mutilation. Um, she could lead the march, but they had no room for an anti-Trump um, pro-lifer. Um, the feminist leaders set the rules. Anyone who threatens abortion will be punished as a traitor to their ge- to their gender, no matter. How much good you actually do for women um, to advance their financial empowerment or independence, it doesn't matter. You will be shamed and exiled from the mean girl club. But here is the good news. We don't need their club. We are independent, free-thinking, liberty-minded women. What angry liberal feminists do not realize is that conservative women have been quietly shaping our own brand of feminism one that gives women more freedom to chart their own course and to define happiness and success on their own terms. It is a feminism that respects the consequential role of men and the dignity of women and their children, including um, those that are growing in their mother's womb. The media and cultural elites ignore and scoff uh, all of us But we are a very powerful constituency. Just think about it. We conservative women are the reason why their dream of Hillary Clinton as a president was absolutely crushed. And here we are a year and a half later and they still haven't come to terms with it. Um, We elected uh, Donald Trump conservative women did. Conservative women also gave him a majority in the House and the Senate to pass the most consequential tax reform in a generation. And that majority is also remaking the courts to reflect our conservative and constitutional values. Liberals and Hollywood ignore conservative women at their own peril. Now, You all know that my husband and I were elected in 2010. That was that big wave that came into um, the House of Representatives. Um, But before 2010, uh, neither my husband or I had ever even stepped foot inside the Capitol. Um, and so for me as a mom, one of the greatest joys of my husband's election has been watching my kids sort of walk the halls of Congress at such a very young and formative age. I mean, some of them, they don't, they don't know anything other than their dad being a congressman. They were born while he was um, in office. And so for them, it seems quite normal. For my husband and I, it was quite amazing to get there for the first time. when. We took our then four-year-old daughter, um, she's now nine, her name is Paloma, she was four at the time, the first time we went as a family um, to Washington, D.C., and she just became absolutely fascinated with the beautiful Capitol building and its dome. Um, If you've never seen it, there it is. Um, And she was, as I said, she was only four years old, she loved the building. Everywhere we would go in Washington, D.C., she would sort of turn to see where she was in relation to the dome. Um, and she had a very particular fascination with the statue on the top of the dome, um, which I hadn't even really noticed until she pointed it out to me. Um, and she wanted to know all about that lady on the top of the dome. She wanted to know who she was, why she was there, why was she dressed that way. I didn't know. I didn't even notice her until she had pointed her out. So. That night I went home and I tried to learn all I could about Lady Freedom so that I could feed her little four-year-old curiosity. So if you don't know anything about Lady Freedom, she was erected during the Civil War by Republican President um, Lincoln. Um, She's beautiful. She's a fierce warrior. She wears a toga-style dress and a Native American-style cape over it. On her head is a helmet, you can see that helmet, it's adorned with stars in the front, and it has feathers to symbolize her tyranny, I mean her victory over tyranny. In one hand she carries a sheathed sword, in the other she carries a shield and a wreath of laurel, which is another sign of victory. Um, She faces, if you look at her, she's facing east. The reason she faces east is because She's got her eye on England. She's very protective of America's liberty. Remember, that was our old enemy. Um, so she's vigilant and protective of our freedom. Um, while I was in D.C., I bought Paloma. I couldn't find anything with Lady Freedom except this little keychain that I found in the you know, House of Representatives gift shop. So I bought that. When we got home from D.C., um, the first thing she did was take that little keychain and she hung it from the top of her pink plastic Cinderella castle. Um, she was only four years old and she told us that she wants to be Lady Freedom when she grows up. Um, that Halloween, by the way, she had all kinds of great questions I mean, she was like can, can, you know, if I wear the hat, what will happen to my bangs? You know, she wanted to know if her siblings could come up and visit her. I mean, she really was taking this very seriously. That Halloween, um, I had the very unenviable task of having to put together a Lady Freedom Halloween costume. Um, They didn't sell it at Walmart, you know, so I had to make that one. Um, But my Paloma is not the only one who wants to be Lady Freedom. Every one of you wants to be Lady Freedom. Every one of you is here today at this conference because you are willing to fight, to scrap, and to put it all on the line to protect the rights of all Americans, especially the voiceless and the forgotten and the most vulnerable among us, especially the unborn. Isn't it interesting, uh, it's such an interesting thought, at the highest point of our capital, by the way, it's the highest point in all of that city, um, our forefathers placed a woman dressed for battle as the symbol of freedom. We, conservative women, are freedom fighters. And for some of us in this room, that battle will be on your school board. For others, it's going to be quiet prayers in front of an abortion clinic. Maybe it's, um, you know, being there for a classmate at your school who's pregnant and scared. For some of you, you're going to give up a Saturday to walk doors um, and hand out pamphlets at parades for a candidate that you believe in. Um, for others, it's going to be standing up bravely for your values um, against your liberal professors and and with fellow students. For others, you will end up walking the halls of Congress as Congresswomen. And for others, you may be standing up to Whoopi Goldberg on The View. Um, So what I ask today, because it's the perfect opportunity, is for us to recommit to our noble cause of protecting freedom, to putting on our illustrious helmets, to picking up our swords and our shields and carrying our wreaths of laurel as we fight to preserve liberty and life for ourselves and our daughters and all of our children. Thank you so much. I think there's some time I can a- ask some uh, answer some questions if um, any of you have time. Thank you for having me here. Anybody have a question? Don't be shy. You awesome. can stand up.
1: Okay. Um, my name is Nafisa Kubia. I go to Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, I'm on the school senate as a senator for uh, Young Americans for Liberty. And um, next fall I wish to represent the Northeastern College Republicans. Awesome. But, um, yeah. So I started like this little conservative caucus of like me and four other people out of 65 senators. <laughs> um, awesome. At our college. And, I mean so far right now all I've accomplished is really like making it known that you know like I want freedom, like whole limited government, even in student government and whatnot. But I kinda wanna know like what more can I do other than showing people that I'm not like a, you know, terrible conservative person that just wants to I don't know. I don't know what they think of us. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I would say w- say your name again to me. Nafisa. Lafisa Nafisa. Leti- oh Leticia.
1: No? no? Nafisa. Nafisa. Yes.
0: Okay, Nafisa. You are on the right track. It's really interesting um, because the first thing you want to do is figure out who thinks like you. You have to band together with people who will support you. So existing, starting this caucus, letting people know who you are, um, that you exist, is the first um, step. In our town, after Trump was elected, you know, I knew there were a lot of Trump supporters because people knew, that I was a Republican congressional spouse. So people would say to me, I voted for Trump, like that. So I knew they I knew they were out there, but they didn't know that they existed, that the other people existed. And since the vote was quiet, right, it's a private vote, um, so I had some women come up to me after the election saying, what do we do? And I said, I think the first thing you need to do is figure out that there's actually a lot more of you than you think you are. And that actually, that gives some power. So I think you're taking the right first step. um, And I think your group will decide what is the um, issue that you want to champion based on what's going on at your school. I think start local, right? Politics always starts local. So there may be something that happens on campus that you guys can take a stand for. And just being who you are. I mean, I I think one of the... um, weapons that the left has used so much against the right has and and this is by the way the first time they've ever said it out loud but they were doing it before they remember when Mitt Romney had a a, a, they did a documentary on Mitt Romney do you remember did anybody see the documentary on Mitt Romney if the Mitt Romney that had been on that documentary had showed up on the stage I think he might have won but part of what the Left was doing regardless was they had a they were trying to not normalize him so they were trying to make it really weird that they were Mormon and there were five boys and they all look similar and there was all this weird stuff like on Saturday Night Live that they were somehow like Stepford brothers and they were because their goal was to not normalize him um, Another example, that's why Donald Trump was a huge threat to them, because Donald Trump was a creature of pop culture. He had already been normalized and well known in the public, um, uh, he, he was not an unknown person. They couldn't uh, do what they tried to do and make him weird in that way. Now they're, they're trying. Uh, if you look at what happened during the campaign, they, uh, Jimmy Fallon had uh, um, Hillary Clinton on the show on his show, and he asked her all the same questions that they ask all these politicians that come on the show. And it was normal, funny, whatever. Then he had Donald Trump on, and he was actually, cause Jimmy Fallon's kind of a nice guy, he did the same thing, he gave him the same softball questions, and he had this funny moment where he said, can I touch your hair, can I tussle it? And Donald Trump said, yeah. And so he shook his hair up, and his hair is all crazy, and it was this really kind of, Endearing moment for Donald Trump because people kind of thought he would never let someone touch his hair because he's so vain, right? But he did, and it was a funny, cool moment. It was a very sort of um, subversively endearing moment for him. What did the left do? They attacked Jimmy Fallon. They went after, him. and it wasn't just random celebrities. They the worst um, attacks came from his alumni on Saturday Night Live. Remember, he's an alumni of Saturday Night Live. Why did they do that? They said it out loud. They said, how dare you bring Donald Trump on and normalize him? How dare you do that? And now, a year later, Jimmy Fallon did an interview on Vanity Fair where he apologized for having been, what, touching his hair and asking the same softball questions. He apologized. He said, I'm sorry I normalized Donald Trump. I shouldn't have done that. He apologized. Um, So what I'm saying is just being you, normalizes conservatives, that you exist, that you have a caucus that's four, and maybe five, six, maybe in another year, there'll be 12 of you. Um, You're normalizing it. Um, A lot of you here are going into the media, Um, especially, I mean, I do Fox, but I did a lot of non-Fox stuff long before I I was on Fox. And I love doing those shows, The View, um, going on CNN. Um, I especially love doing women's shows, like. Dr. Phil, you know when I do shows like The View, I don't want to always talk about politics. I want to talk about my family, and I want to talk about my husband being a lumberjack sportsman. And I want to do all these things to show that we're normal people, because the strategy of the far left is to make us not be normal. And they have said it out loud, don't normalize. So thank you for normalizing conservatives at your college, because that's what you're doing. Thank you. Does anybody else have a question? I promise not to go so long. Yeah.
2: Hi, uh, my name is Haley. I go to Georgetown, I'm a freshman, and I saw you also, I'm considering majoring in economics and I saw you did too, and I highly respect the degrees that you have, and I Thank see you. in academia there's such a, a pressure to be driven towards a career and, and to be go, 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 like you said earlier when you're put mm-hmm. on the Yeah, there
0: is. And there was a lot. of. I felt like there was judgment. I was really lucky that I had a mom who thought that what I was doing with my kids was more important than anything else. So I got a lot of support from my mom. When I got that call that I didn't get the job, um, and I called my mom immediately, she was like, honey, you got more important things to do. And she was right. I was feeling it inside. I knew at that moment that um, I was pregnant with my third baby. And I I think God didn't want me to do that job at that moment. I think we all have to make our own choices. There are women who um, work and they find childcare arrangements in lots of different ways. Sometimes their husbands are home. Sometimes they have a grandparent who's home with their kids, or they find different ways to make it work out. Um, I think it's really about following your heart. And that's what I hope the message that you guys, that you ladies get is that there is no one way. Just because Sheryl Sandberg says, put your foot on the gas pedal, um, you know. It might be easy for Cheryl Sandberg because, you know, she's super rich and she has, like, two kids. And, you know, it, she's maybe able to arrange that that way. But there's other people who have to make different arrangements. And the point of feminism, to me, is about choice. So if your heart is tugging you to be with your family, that's a wonderful choice. And the beautiful thing about being a mom now versus a mom in 1971 is that... You can do it. You have as much information on your computer and your laptop at home as any journalist. Um, You can write a book, uh, you know, with Margie. I mean, we're doing things by phone. How many phone calls have we had where there's babies in the background? And you also find people to work with who want to work with women and understand what women bring to the table. Um, You know, there are some places that say, we want a mom, but we don't want your mommy problems. Well, that may not be a place you want to work at. You know, I had an agent um, when I started with The View early in my late 20s, and I was probably about 27. And she stuck with me through all those lean years of my 30s. And um, she's still with me today. And she's a mom. And she kind of got me and was willing to work with me and kind of sell me as somebody from the Midwest um, And and pre- try to help me present that as a positive, that I lived in Wisconsin and was an at-home mom, and I could bring that perspective to the table. So you also have to be creative on how you present it. Um, it can't just be, um, you know, it's not going to fall on your lap. It's hard work. It's creativity. It's finding the right people around you. And I'm telling you what, it's about having the right spouse, because the right um, spouse will help you um, and be a partner with you, because you can't do it alone. It's really tough.
3: Um, Hi, I'm Katrina Thie, and um, I'm finishing high school through SUNY Albany. Um, And my question is regarding how we constantly hear through our liberal media about inequality in the workplace, um, gender inequality. I was wondering what your thoughts are on that, since you talked a lot about um, having a career as a woman.
0: Absolutely. I mean, look, there are, (laughs) it exists, there is some gender inequality. I think we'd be fools to say that it doesn't exist. Um, But, you know, I also think that as a minority woman, um, my parents really just taught me to not be a victim. And I think that's been a really positive thing for me, that they always said anything is possible, and if there's an obstacle, figure out a way to get around it, or over it, or under it, or through it. Um, And so, Uh, You know, we're free agents and you can, if if there is gender inequality in in the workplace, you can sue or you can leave. You have to make the choices that are right for you. Um, But also, we can't blame everything that happens. I mean, we make choices. I, you know, I wasn't, you know, in my early 30s, you know, doing the things I'm doing now because I chose not to. (laughs) Um, And so we make choices in our life, and we have to own those choices. um, And we can't always blame other people for them. If we are being um, in any way discriminated, whether it's for our race or our gender, we must stand up for ourselves. And we should. And luckily, we live in a country where um, we can fight back. Uh, But I do think that there is a, a lot of victimization um, self-victimization out there, and I think we would do better as women to see how much power we have and to see that there's actually um, a lot of opportunity for us, more than probably a lot of us younger women can appreciate um, if we understood what it was like um, just 30 or 40 years ago.
2: Hi, my name is Taylor Helmkamp, I'm Hi, from Taylor. about um, the left trying to denormalize and to not normalize. Well, anytime I speak out against um, the liberal academia and their suede views, um, they professors tend to make a joke out of it or to kind of lampoon or...
0: Are you in class, in class raising, class. Your, yes, hand raising saying, your hand and saying... It's interesting.
2: and then they just tend to kind of brush you off. So how do you fight to normalize your views whenever everybody
0: you know this is a very interesting subject because as a mom I've had to deal with it with my own kids so I thought I when I was younger and my kids were in elementary school I thought all the bias was at the university level but it's really starts pretty young um, and junior high and high school and even at Catholic schools where my kids are go to most of the teachers are liberal and I started to see my daughter would give me a paper and say mom I need your help in editing it don't get mad I just wrote all the stuff the teacher wants me to say (laughs) and it was really tough for me because I wanted her to send the message that she should write what she believes at the same time she was very well aware that she would be penalized and she had experienced that as well so I think it's complicated Um, you should defend yourself in class you should give your opinion and I would never want to tell you not to do that but I also have empathy for students who say you know what I'm gonna choose my battles Um, if I know I have a professor that's going to absolutely you know um, penalize me for that and I need this grade to pass whatever um, maybe that's not the time to do it I know it's a terrible choice to have to make Um, obviously I hope that you feel comfortable You know, going to other people at the university. I don't know who at the administration level deals with that kind of bias. But you shouldn't feel that way by presenting another point of view. And I think it's really sad. Um, It's a sad state of affairs that that's how people feel. But it is what it is. I say keep fighting, but also be smart about it because you want to also make sure that you're getting ahead.
3: My name is Jocelyn. I'm from the University of Memphis. Um, As I was telling them, earlier this week, I had just a bizarre encounter at a bar over politics, which is not (laughs) anything unusual because I'm a poli sci major. People ask you what you do. It's natural for them to be curious. And so I was speaking with someone who, you know, would be like, oh, I can't believe you Republicans believe this or you don't believe in immigration. I'm half Mexican. You don't, boy, why are you pro-white? How come, is it religious? I'm the concession of a rape. You know, I have like things just like spitting back at them and they're still just attacking me. And I'm like, you know, and then I just heard babe, you and she said, never stand down. Never. She said, you fight until you absolutely have nothing else to say. Well, so after that conversation, I got called a little bitch for being a 23-year-old 23, 23 Republican woman. And even though I had defended my rights and sat there and listened to everything that they said, I was still the bitch. And so I think this is relevant to, sorry, <laughs> that's true, that's okay. happened, to the Mean Girls Club that you speak of. So how? what would you give... What is your suggestion and what we should do when people aren't listening to us? And at that point, I mean, we're just a bitch, you know, even though we've given them logical reasoning, what is your suggestion?
0: So it's, I was around your, how old are you? Okay. So I was 22 when I did the real world and I was a, you know, 22 year old recent grad from Arizona state from a very conservative Latina family. And I was moved to San Francisco to live in a house with seven strangers, We had an anarchist bike messenger. We had a Muslim hip-hop artist, um, kind of Rastafarian kind of guy. We had a very liberal Asian medical student. We had a very liberal um, uh, uh, cartoonist from New York. Um, We had um, a a kind of a a non-political kind of surfer chick in the house. And, And we had, most famously, Um, Pedro Zamora, who was a Cuban-American immigrant to the country who had AIDS, um, and he was living in our house. So I went uh, to San Francisco, and really with an open mind. Um, my parents were not happy that I had made this decision, but I said, I want to go do this. Um, I did it. Um, I beat out 47,000 people applied to do. They picked seven. So I thought, oh my, this is my destiny. I, I need to do this show. And it clearly is because I met my soulmate by doing it. Um, but I tell you, the most important, I, I went to everything they did. I went to, I wanted to see it all, right? I'm on this show. I'm supposed to be experiencing it. I went to Gay Pride parades to see what that was about with them I went to soapbox derby races I went to Muslim spoken word night I went I mean I did everything to get to know these guys and then I had an idea because I was you remember Empower America um, it's a conservative group and they were coming to Stanford to do a conference and I said, you know what, I would like for you guys to all get to know what I'm like. So I invited all of my roommates and the MTV cameras to come with me to an Empower America conference. And you know how it works on reality TV. You actually see what people say after the show. (laughs) And so the whole time that I was not in the room, They were all complaining about, oh, we have to do this Republican event on such a nice day, and we have to go up and do this. I mean, I had been so open-minded with all of them, doing all their stuff. Um, And they come up to the conference, and we meet Jack Kemp. By the way, we met a young staffer there named Paul Ryan, which is kind of funny. Um, And uh, we come back, and basically, they all said that the, the thing they got out of the entire conference and all the great speakers was, we can't believe that Rachel would go to a conference that's so white. That's what they got out of it. That's what they got out of it. I learned at 22 the myth of liberal tolerance. It's a myth. They're not tolerant. Conservatives are the most tolerant people. There was an article that came out just recently in I think the uh, the New the I don't know if it was the New York Times or Wall Street Journal of a liberal who went to CPAC and was like, I can't believe how open-minded and nice these people are try being a Trump supporter going to one of their conferences and see if you're going to write the same op-ed. Um, we are tolerant. We are open-minded. Um, and we are strong in our beliefs, but we're not mean. And I think that is essentially the core of the message. We should fight, but we should fight with confidence and with a smile and with good humor and be happy warriors. Because as the survey says, we are happier. Why let them drag us down in their bitterness? You saw what that march looked like. They're angry. They're really, really angry. Don't go there. Fight for yourself, but do it with good humor. Be a happy warrior. There's one more here. Let's go. Let's take the last one. Um,
2: My name is Elizabeth Hernandez. I am a biology and math student at the University of the Incarnate Word in San Antonio, Texas. Awesome. And I founded my university's very first college Republican organization in 129 years. And uh, my question for you is more how you dealt with it being Hispanic. Yeah. Um, because even though I'm like a science person, no one really thought that, I guess, I would be the one to start the very first CR organization at my school. and it's really caused a divide like between me and like my Hispanic friends and like they call me a traitor and yeah you know it's you know yeah a lot of you guys are like nodding your head yeah because it's true and Uh you know so like in church like people don't talk to my mom anymore or like a temple people don't really talk to me anymore and like in school like they have a little Hispanic group and you know uh, I've tried contacting them like hey let's get together let's do a fundraiser and like I I guess they accidentally sent me an email and they were like hey make sure not to like talk to her stay out of her way terrible. and so like i guess as a hispanic what can you recommend for me to do because it's like really sad you know because hispanics are like really together you know we're really all about family and friends and it it sucks you know yeah. for there to be such a divide between Hispanics and then conservative Hispanics
0: it's it, I listen I <laughs> thank you for your question because I so feel your pain on that um, I remember being a young college Republican my sister was the president of our college Republican Club um, when I was in um, in college I, I was just the treasurer secretary or something um, but we were called coconuts um, you know brown on the outside white on the inside um, we were called all kinds of things at the time um, you know it bothered us, um, but I i have to say, it's just gotten worse. Um, I did a speech uh, not long ago, I think last summer in Texas, and there was a whole contingency of Hispanic girls that had turned out to see me because they just didn't know very many other conservative um, women out there doing what I'm doing and, and talking, and they, they, they actually, they were so cute, they sent me, they sent a note through the Person running the speech saying they want to invite me for pizza after the speech which I did I went down and had pizza with them and each one of them had a story like yours to tell one of them was a high school girl by the way she was an amazing mariachi singer she had won like I mean she could be on like America's Got Talent she was amazing and she was the president of her UN Club at her high school and when it came out through social media that the other children in her school or the kids in her school found out that she was supporting Trump, um, and that she, that's how it came out that she was a Republican. She, came, she comes from a conservative Hispanic family. Um, everyone on the UN sort of international club quit. So she was the president of no one. Um, and it was hurtful. I could see it in her face. She was it was painful There were other people who were shunned from their families um, because their families were Democrats and on welfare And this particular girl said I just knew that that wasn't the way I wanted to be and they think I'm high on my horse Because I'm you know trying to break that cycle um, each one of them had a story like that I don't have an answer for why it, you know, it's gotten so polarized and so mean. Probably social media has something to do with it. I probably didn't hear all, all the bad things people were saying the way kids today hear it through social media. Um, but it, it's just, uh, I don't have an answer except to say, stand for what you believe in. Stick with what you're doing. Don't worry about the, you know, the haters and the naysayers. Um, they will always be out there. I want to share one story with you because um, it, this happened to me a few weeks ago on on uh, Fox and Friends. And I you know, I have social media. I'm a mom. Like my kids help me with all my stuff, and I'm not very good at it. Um, and I was on Fox and Friends, and I said something that I didn't think was very controversial, but it turned out it kind of was. So the subject was, I don't know if you saw, Jay- Z came out and said, That um, Donald Trump was a superbug. I don't know if you guys saw that. He said he's a superbug. Our nation has not dealt with racism and so by not dealing with racism what we get is this superbug, Trump. And so they played this clip and they came back to us as hosts and they were like, you know, we were supposed to sort of react to it. And I said, what was on my, the first thing that came to my mind? I said, well, what the hell has Jay-Z ever done for the black community? I mean, Donald Trump's actually raising you know, the employment rates. He's creating jobs. He's deregulating the economy so more of them can start businesses. That was it. That's what I said. I left the set, because when I leave the set, there's a car waiting for me, because I go right to the airport so I can get home as fast as I can, back to Wisconsin. Between the time that I was left the set and got to the airport, um, my social media had exploded in a way I had never seen. Apparently there's this thing called the Bayhive. I'm sure you guys have all heard of it. <laughs> well, it's all these like Jay-Z and Beyonce fans. And so some a black website caught what I had said and it sort of multiplied. And all these people that were supporters of Jay-Z and Beyonce came onto my social media and they wrote the most vile stuff I have ever seen in my life. Some of it I actually took pictures of, because I was like, this is actually kind of violent. Like, I, if, I may have to report this to Capitol Police as a congressional spouse. And it was so bad that I, I started. And, it, and by the time I got home, I mean, I had to get on a plane. And by the time I got home, my ki- I had it warned my kids not to go on And my kids had already heard it. All their friends had already heard This is all from New York to Wisconsin, like a four hour you know, period of time. By I get home, my kids said, Wow, mom, everybody hates you. And it was a really interesting experience for me, because if, and and by the way, one of the things on, one of the comments actually said, "Um, uh, you guys, this is so mean, she's gonna kill herself. And then somebody responded, I hope she kills herself. And then other people were supporting that comment. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm 47 years old. This stuff just, I mean, I, I was on reality TV when I was 22. I'd been a politician. I'm like an elephant. My skin is so thick. I mean, everything just rolls off of me. I don't care what anyone says about me. But if I was 14, in that moment, I would have thought the, exactly what my kids said, that the whole world hated me. That's the amplification of social media and what, what, what it does. And the truth was, the whole world didn't hate me. These losers hated me who apparently found time to defend, you know, Beyonce instead of getting on with their lives and, and infecting my social media. Um, and. Uh, by the way, one of the comments, which was hilarious, they're like, "Who's she to Who's she to say this?" You know, with her eight kids from eight different husbands or whatever, eight different guys or whatever. I thought it was kind of funny. So um, th- there was all kinds of stuff, but there was some really vile stuff. And 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 I realized if you're 14, if you're 15, if you're 22, it's 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 harder to take. And I just encourage you to not let this stuff get to you. As you get out there, there's going to be people that call you a bitch. There's going to be people that don't want to be your friend because of your politics. And you just have to get strong and get a thick skin and deal with it. Um, because in the end, the the values that you stand for and that you believe in are going to keep making you happier, because these are tried and true values that lead to the American dream. And you know that better than anybody um, as a young Hispanic woman studying in the sciences and making her life better and changing the world by doing it. So stick by your values. They are the values that got you to where you're at. And the, the world is your oyster, from what I can see. Um, so be strong, all of you. Thanks for having me.